0: Amid rising xenophobia in Britain, politicians have pushed for increasingly extreme responses to refugee arrivals. Suella Braverman, once again the Home Secretary, has used the term invasion to describe desperate boat crossings in the English Channel. The government has pushed a plan to send asylum seekers to Rwanda and has overseen deteriorating conditions in immigrant detention centers. On November 6th, Hundreds of people demonstrated to shut down the Manston Detention Center in Kent, following reports that the facility, built to house 1,600 people, is actually holding more than double that number. Overcrowding has led to crisis inside, including an outbreak of diphtheria. In solidarity with arriving refugees, demonstrators held a banner reading, the enemy doesn't arrive by boat, he arrives by limousine. Here is audio recorded by a participant Benny Hunter, of demonstrators interacting with and cheering for a detained family that they can see waving through the windows of the facility. On November 11th, long-term political prisoner Matula Shakur was granted parole. In 1986, Matula was convicted of conspiracy to aid bank expropriation. He was charged under the U.S. conspiracy laws known as Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organization, or RICO laws, and sentenced to 60 years. The U.S. government alleged that his political associates constituted a racketeering enterprise and was accused of aiding in the escape of Asada Shakur. His website issued a statement saying, quote, Today, Dr. Matula Shakur, a 72-year-old grandfather and respected healer and elder, was granted parole by the U.S. Parole Commission. The Parole Commission has recognized that his release poses no risk, particularly in light of his medical condition he will be released shortly. Mutulu is one of thousands of incarcerated older people in federal and state prisons who has been repeatedly denied parole for over a decade after completing his minimum sentence. Mutulu is deeply grateful and thankful for the broad expression of trust and support and thanks everyone who has helped him over the years. We ask that he have space and time to be with family when he's released and to continue receiving medical treatment. We welcome him home with great joy. Unquote. This week, we share the final part of a conversation between Focus Initiatives' Jacques Huerta and community organizer Sincere. Sincere, who spent 13 years in Indiana prisons, now organizes in Indianapolis with other formerly incarcerated people. In our previous episodes, Sincere paints a picture of life in a women's prison. Today, they wrap up by talking about prison conditions, such as poor food, exploitative practices, and overly harsh punishments, such as losing visits as retaliation for saying I love you to another inmate. They also answer audience questions about a wide range of experiences. Let's get started.
1: I do have to ask you, what would you like to see change? You know, whether it's directly in the facilities or whether it's with policy or whether it's in the thoughts of with inmates, what would you like to see change to make this whole situation different?
2: You know, I would like for um, the system to be able to recognize that um, offenders are just not numbers they're real people with real issues and families, um, mothers, aunts, uncles, you know, um, to begin there and be able to recognize that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how long you give somebody, if they're released, then they're going to need more help. So I just feel like there needs to be more help to be able to, um, have people to come out and be able to live normal again. Um, I know there is is so much that needs to be done, but I feel like if you start off with the mental health of a person and being able to dig deep inside of them and take time to get to know that person, educate them, like you said, um, give them uh, resources for housing and... um, Education and other resources that they need to in order to be able to thrive in society. I just really feel like it's immoral to throw somebody in prison for petty crimes and have to be able to endure some of the consequences that they um, impose on people. Mm -hmm. Definitely,
1: I definitely agree um i I really want to thank you for uh for your contribution today. I think that's an important message that definitely needed to be and still needs to be heard and uh we're gonna take this message on the road so I really want to thank you for your uh your time today
2: Well thank you for having me thank you guys also for having me thank
1: you. uh if if anybody has any questions that they like to pose at this time to sincere on myself. Yes, sir. I was curious what, so we know that the DOC receives some I believe, millions of dollars in funding for reentry uh, support for people getting out of prison, reentry prep preparedness and support, uh, what, what kind of, you know, what kind of reentry preparedness programming did they have? And what, what kind I know they have a parole officer, a vocation officer, but who assisted
2: you? Nothing. Right. <laughs> I did everything on my own. Right. Did they help you get anybody vital documentation Nothing. Um, oh, well, beforehand, while I was in prison, they uh, sent off of my birth certificate and my social security card. That was mainly how far they went. um uh, my parole officer suggested other jobs, but that was only because they had a list of jobs that was already printed off for them um no food stamps um I had to go apply you know on my own. nobody told me about them you know it was just kind of word of mouth from other felons or other people who knew my situation. Um, I did have assistance with housing, and that's because of the counselor that I had in the prison was really, really good. Um, I had been knowing, I had known her for I think she was working there for about eight years and I developed a relationship with her, so she um, expressed you know interest in finding me housing. But if you don't have a good counselor or someone who's not you know helpful, you will not, you will be like stuck in a hotel or a homeless shelter or something?
1: Most counselors are not going to extend themselves. You know, the majority of counselors, there's a big book in prison and, and, and right before you get out. And uh, so if you do need some type of assistance or you're supposed to get some help with something or need some help with something, typically the counselor gives, the, gives you this big book and drops it on your bed. And you have it until the end of the day to go through that book and look for addresses or numbers of groups or organizations or um, places that could give you some type of assistance in general areas. But outside of them actually taking initiatives to assist you in, in, in locking some of this stuff down, it's kind of it's non-existent unless, like her, you have a counselor who actually cares about seeing you create a success in your life. Cares about assisting you, you know. Otherwise than that, if you don't if you don't luck up and have a good counselor, then you're completely all on your own. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and with the counselor, sorry, with the counselors, um you have to realize too they're overworked. Yes. They um are. they might have anywhere from 60 to 70 uh girls that they have to, you know, uh, get work done for and that could be ranging from putting the phone number on a phone list to, you know, finding a reentry program for somebody. So on um, my dorm there were three uh counselors for what, twelve hundred women? Mm-hmm. So It's just drilled in your head that you cannot do better or you can't get out of that situation or you can't resist or the consequences are way too much. Like for 216, that means if I told another person I love them, I would could lose my visits. So it was too extreme to even think that you were powerful enough to speak up. So uh, I, unlike the men's prison, like they don't, we didn't riot. We didn't like uh, do anything major, too major to get attention to even fight. Unfortunately, yeah. I mean, you know, it's
1: it's it's a difficult position to be in because we have seen people resist, but those guys who resisted, they you they disappear. Okay, they're beaten in front of everybody and then they disappear. Sometimes you don't see them no more because they keep them in the hole for months and then they ship them somewhere else, you know. So even a few displays of of true resistance, you know, for the right reasons. It's completely attacked instantly and pushed under the rug, you know. Because they don't want that type of spirit to be infecting their system, you know. So uh, it wasn't it wasn't too common of an occurrence.
0: Jeff, don't you think that the kind of um, mentality that both you and Sincere are describing is itself a form of resistance?
1: I mean, yeah, definitely. You know, it's it's. I kind of look at that as. Just figuring out the best way to survive, you know? Just figuring out the way. Oh, like my myself, perfect example. When I got sentenced, you know, the prosecutor was begging to give me 20 years. He begged. <laughs> I still remember. I was I was horrified. <laughs> you know? He begged the judge, Your Honor, I I don't understand if he's beating the table. The judge had to tell him to stop. You know, Um, so he's going off about this and I'm feeling like, oh, my goodness, (laughs) you know. But so I went in because the judge had given me, she said, if you do a good job while you're in there, I will decide later on if we're going to keep this sentence as lengthy as it as it has been passed down to you. Or we'll decide then after a couple of years, a few years, if you've changed enough to come out and a prosecutor was against that but i went into a system where the judge tells me you get one write up you get wrote up for anything not having your bed made at eight o'clock in the morning when it's supposed to be don't bother putting in for your modification because i will see that and you're completely denied so i had to go into a situation (laughs) scared of my own shadow pretty much because any situation i get into would result in me doing 14 years, you know? So uh, so just like she said, there was a lot of times when I smiled when I really wanted to say, hey, you know, you you completely coming, coming in the wrong perspective right now. You completely in the wrong. Instead of that, I said, <laughs> that was it. Because my life is literally on the line. It hangs yes. in the balance. It does. You know? So,
2: and they use that, they oh yeah, use they that definitely and hold use that. it over your head um one of my friends is having visits with her son, and um you know, if her probation fees wasn't paid up by a certain time, then she's not allowed to see her son I mean, financial you know matters shouldn't matter when it comes to your family, you know, after mm-hmm. you've done time in pen in in the penitentiary, mm-hmm. you know it's just It doesn't measure up or you don't want to risk being out in the world and, you know, something petty as a dirty drop or something petty as you know, being in the wrong place could send you back to prison. That's just wasting the taxpayer's money, time, paperwork. Um, Mm -hmm. It costs so much for one person to be locked up for a year mm-hmm. you know it just costs so much who's paying for that you and i mm-hmm. you know we're all paying for it and nobody sees where this taxpayer's money is going in the system because guess what the correctional facility is still selling commissary they're still you know doing labor with um
1: private corporations
2: exactly um oh. i think it's Televerde's there where they're paying, you know, offenders a hundred hundred and twenty dollars a month for, uh, you know, telephone calls. Um, it's just modern-day slavery. Period. Dot. Yes, Airmark was there. Um, their food is horrible, <laughs> and um, the worst food. For, for people don't know, you know. DOC um, hires third-party vendors, private vendors, in order to shield themselves from the legal liability of poor
0: service.
2: And mm-hmm. Yeah, but on the flip side, Airmark did give um, Rockville opportunity to get educated. I went through one of their programs for culinary arts. Okay. Um, so mm-hmm. in the end of work program, so I did graduate from both of those programs, but as far as their food, uh <laughs> now it was, yeah. What, what
1: are you going to say? Now, this is question mm-hmm. to both of you guys. You said that when you were in court and the yeah, prosecutors. The prosecutor. mm-hmm. So then, don't you think that's where the injustice starts at mm-hmm. in the courtroom? Without? the court system. Without question. That's where, that's what needs to be changed. You that, know. The court system. Yeah, I, I and and, and that because that's definitely correct in my opinion. Uh, but um, it's even before then, just walking down the street. You know, I mean, you know, listen. Now when I drive, I have a license, completely legal. <laughs> I got insurance, great. You know, I got registration. I'm everything, and. No drugs in the car. I never was one to have weapons anyway, but no drugs in the car. So now when I get pulled over, I'm still nervous. <laughs> I know I'm good, you know, but I'm still nervous, you know, just from the, it, exactly, you know. And, uh, you know, but, but I have been conditioned to some point, you know. And, and that, 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 that is what has helped me, you know, because I've done 14 years off and on. So, institutionalization has to creep up in there a little bit, you know. And I don't want any direct problems with these people because I know what the outcome can be. While everybody's trying to figure it out, you've done two and a half years out of your life, you know. So, <laughs> so you know, before everybody comes to the conclusion, yeah, it was a mistake, you know. But, um, yeah, so it, it really starts there, you know, just initially – I mean, I understand officers have to do their job or whatever, but there's no reason for you to treat me this sort of way when I've done nothing, you know, and I'm compliant with what your requests are. I've pulled over. You want me to stand up? You want me to sit down, whatever you want? Okay, let's get this over with. And we're still having problems?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a huge issue, you know what I'm saying? Um, I guess for me, it's just... um. The long sentences and then the short sentences, the difference between um, counties and um, like uh, someone from Kokomo could get 25 years for for drugs. Somebody here, well, in Indianapolis can have the same amount of drugs and get two years in probation. So it's just the laws really need to be changed. I just feel like it's um, sometimes when I think about the laws and certain things, it's just so overwhelming because it really needs to be like tore down and rewrote and redone up. I mean, it's just, you don't know where to start. <laughs> it's like all of it, just throw it all out and start all over again. So, um, it's pretty much a fight, um, every single day, you know, to get certain laws passed, to get certain, um, I, I don't think that we would ever be perfect as a society, but in order for us to be able to come together, we need to you know find a common ground. And that common ground is treating people fairly and equally, especially when it comes down to giving somebody 30 years for um, drugs or certain crime and treating people with respect and uh, like we have morals. Because... Mm-hmm. The way things are going now, it's like we're breeding little monsters that are coming from out of prisons, that are coming out of jail. Um, Not saying that they weren't um, as mentally... um, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, when you go through these institutions, it really messes you up more than what you You were. You started with. You started. Yeah, like... Definitely. So... um, as for me, I still, you know, I still deal with a lot of the um, the pain, the abuse, the torture that I went through. And like I said, I don't know how long it'll take for me to be able to fully recover, if I will ever fully recover from the things that I've been through um, dealing with um the Department of Corrections, but it's definitely um, something that I have to work on every day. Or if I don't, I would definitely be lost like um, a lot of the other women that um, that are still you know, struggling mm-hmm. to find out their place in life and how to get there. Right. And there's one
1: other thing that I want to say in closing, you know, like, like I was saying earlier about us reaching this point where the same old policies still stand today you know the war on drugs was started by the nixon administration and i believe his cabinet uh head was named john ehrlichman if i'm not mistaken yeah and uh and he actually came forward this was what in the 2000s and he said outrightly that yeah we created the drug war we devised it in our minds. We knew that it would. We we knew that it would disrupt communities of color. We knew that they we could vilify them if they got too much power. We knew that we can use the news media um, to use this fake premise about drugs and put it on these people so we can come within their communities and disrupt and get rid of the people that we don't want there, you know? And we have a perfect avenue and we're gonna use drugs to do it. And he actually says with a quote, did we know we were lying about the drug war? Of course, you know? And then after all that, after this full confession and full admission of perpetrating one of the most brutal systems and inflicting it upon people else all over the place and making them villains and criminals. And he admits it, and then nothing happens. No policy is changed. (laughs) Nothing Nothing is addressed. I mean, who gets away with that type of stuff? You know? Only because we allow it only because we allow it. We've got so many loved ones and now it's beyond race, you know? Now it's not just white, uh, black people and brown people. It's a lot of bunch of white people in there, too. <laughs> you know? Bunch of them, you know? So, but still n- nobody's saying nothing. After these people in power admit crimes. I, I'm not gonna be a part of that. I can't be a part of that, you know? You made me a villain. You play with my mind, my identity. You tried to destroy me. so For your political agenda, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you? At some point, somebody has to stand up and say, no, something's gotta change today. Something's gotta happen. You know, this wrong has got to be made right. They're not gonna do it. They're still pushing the old way when it's been completely debunked. So it's gonna be voices like ours, the people who are in this room, the people who are listening on the Zoom, the people who actually care about humanity, we're the ones that's gonna have to do something, you know? And I really want to thank everybody who's here doing something today just listening to this information. You know, you have no idea how much IDOC Watch and Focus Initiatives appreciates your presence and your ears, you know. So I, I definitely want to thank everybody who's here today. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, and uh, and let's keep the good fight going. Yep. So thank you thank very you. much, very much, everybody. For your attendance. Definitely appreciate it.
0: Thank you to Jock, Sincere, IDOC Watch, Focus Initiatives, and everyone who helped with the show. We'll have links to the earlier parts of this conversation in our show notes. This talk was hosted by IDOC Watch and Focus Initiatives. You can find out more about their projects on our website, KiteLineRadio.org. This has been KiteLine you can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. And if you want to financially support our work, you can become a supporter at patreon.com forward slash KiteLine Any funds raised beyond operating costs will be sent to folks on the inside. Please check out our new searchable website with hundreds of archived shows at KiteLineRadio.org. After a brief hiatus, we're happy to report that our prisoner call-in phone line is back. Folks on the inside or their outside friends and supporters can call 765-343-6236 to record a message to be played on the air. Please share this number widely and we'll try to answer and air all messages possible. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Thank you for listening.